Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, April 21st. I'm your host, Mike McHarry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, they say every cloud has a silver lining. Well, maybe silver is a silver lining. You know, I'm constantly hearing people complain that gold and silver both have not performed as they think they should have, given the economic circumstances. And I certainly understand that frustration. But as I've talked about frequently on this show, the mainstream, especially your institutional investors, the mainstream of the mainstream, they really don't get it. And the reason they don't get it is they are operating off a faulty macroeconomic model. You know, it's like doing a complex algebra problem. You can get all of the arithmetic right, but if the equation is set up wrong to begin with, you're going to get the wrong answer. This Keynesian claptrap always leads to the wrong answer no matter what you plug into it. So the mainstream is still wildly confused. The thing is, you know, you can't avoid reality forever. At some point, they're going to figure it out because reality is going to slap them in the face, just like it did back in 2008. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, I, I still think they think that inflation is just going to go away, either because the Fed is going to whip it with their monetary policy or because the looming recession is going to rein it in. And neither of those things is going to happen. In the first place, the Fed can't whip it. We've talked about this on the show often before. I wrote an article this week about the budget deficit. We've already got a $1.2 trillion budget deficit for fiscal 2023, just halfway through the year. You know, back during the Obama administration, when everybody was so upset about the deficits and we had the Tea Party, you know, those deficits were only in the $1 trillion range for entire years. $1.4 trillion was the biggest deficit that was run under the Obama administration. Uh, We're already at that level halfway through the year with the Biden administration. So I'll link to that article in the show notes page and you can check it out. But it's just another reason that the Fed can't whip inflation. It can't do it alone. You know, fiscal stimulus is also stimulative. And we're getting a lot of fiscal stimulus right now. And there's certainly no indication that the federal government is going to shut down the spending anytime soon. If, If nothing else, if we know from history that the spending is just going to keep going up. So, you know, that's the first part. And then as far as uh, the recession getting inflation under control, that's not true either because the Fed is going to have to create inflation uh, in order to fix the economy. So, you know, the mainstream, they still think the Fed basically has things under control. I mean, things are going to be all right. They just need to tweak monetary policy the right way. and Voila, everything is good. You know, Peter Schiff talked about this on a recent podcast, and I'm not going to rehash what he said. You can listen to his podcast and and get that, but I will link to that on the show notes page as well. Now, on top of a bad model, all of these mainstream people are extremely short-sighted. Investors are especially short-sighted in this day and age. You have very few people who are really, you know, looking years down the road. Uh, They're all looking to see what they can squeeze out tomorrow, which is fine. I mean, if that's the way you want to approach things. But it doesn't reflect 
the economic realities, the fundamental economic realities like it should, I don't think. Um, you know, people have not learned the lesson of the dot-com bubble or the 2008 financial crisis. In fact, a lot of the mainstream people sound exactly like they did in 2007 and early 2008. Uh, the other day, I tweeted a photo on the uh, Shift Gold Twitter of uh, a photo of two headlines, two news articles. One was from April 10th, 2008. The headline was, Bernanke says U.S. could be facing a mild recession. April 10th, 2008, Bernanke predicting a mild recession. The second article was from March 22nd of this year, and that headline said, A mild recession is now likely this year, Federal Reserve says. Uh-oh. I guess by mild recession, they mean great recession. Uh, and I saw another article reposted from 2020 explaining exactly why all of the COVID stimulus and the money printing wasn't going to cause inflation. Oops. So anyway, as far as the precious metals markets go, volatility is the name of the game right now. I don't think people really have uh, a real sense of the trajectory of things. Uh, Gold has been up and down like a yo-yo this week based on how people feel about the Fed's next move. Uh, You know, midweek, everybody decided the inflation fight was still on. Gold dropped below $2,000 an ounce. And then on Thursday morning, we got some bad economic data. Weekly jobless claims hit a 17-month high. Uh, The Philly Fed business survey came out, and it has slumped to the worst level since Lehman went under. Uh, So that meant the Fed might be ready to uh, pivot again and able to pivot again. So gold broke back above $2,000 an ounce. Uh, Yesterday, as I was starting to do some uh, preliminary research for the podcast, uh, we were at like $2,200. But during the day Thursday, New York Fed President John Williams said, quote, inflation is still too high and we will use our monetary policy tools to restore price stability. And he was the fourth Fed official of the week to hint that interest rate hikes will likely continue beyond May. As one article put it, we now have a, quote, resolute narrative that is conveying that at least for the near future, a pause of interest rate hikes is off the table. So this morning, we are firmly back under $2,000 an ounce uh, for gold. 2000 now seems to be kind of the, the, the support level. Uh, we're, we're dropping below that, but we're moving back above it. Here's the thing, no matter what the inflation data looks like today, it's not beaten, defeated, nor in retreat. The boys and girls of the Fed have already ratcheted it back up to deal with the financial crisis. And by ratcheted it back up, I mean that they are now creating inflation uh, to prop the banking system up. And when something else breaks in the economy, and something else will break in the economy, when the mild recession rears its ugly head, the inflation spigot is going to be back on full blast. And that's exactly why Peter Schiff keeps saying that Inflation has not peaked that we're going to see inflation much higher because he understands that as soon as we get this bad recession, which is not going to be mild, then the Fed's going to do what it does. It's going to create money to prop up the economy, and we're back to inflation. So I think when you get these dips in gold below $2,000 an ounce, it's a good time to buy. 
And let's not ignore silver. In fact, silver is what I want to talk about uh, for the bulk of the show today. Now, if you think gold is undervalued given the economic uh, situation, silver is way undervalued. That's the silver lining that I think silver is that I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, at the close of yesterday, silver was at about 25 25 an ounce. Um, it's made some pretty solid gains since the first of the year. It's up a little over 5% since January 1st. And it's actually up 26% from its March lows. Now, keep in mind that by nature, silver is a lot more volatile than gold. You're going to see bigger swings day to day and month to month in the gold market or in the silver market than you are going to see in gold. But generally, over time, because silver is also fundamentally a monetary metal, although it has much more industrial application than gold, it's still essentially a monetary metal. It tends to track with gold over time. And historically, I've said this before, it's true, silver has outperformed gold in a gold bull market. So during COVID, when we saw the big jump in the price of gold, silver jumped even more. This has happened over and over again. So if we look at the silver-gold ratio, at the close yesterday, it was a little over 79. So what that means, if you're not familiar with the silver-gold ratio, it's basically just saying that it takes 79 ounces of silver to buy an ounce of gold. So what we're doing is, is we're pricing gold in silver, and that gives you kind of the relative value that the market is placing on both metals at the time. Now, the silver-gold ratio has come down some uh, since its highs. It was close to 90 back in March. But 79, that's still a really wide spread. And it tells us that silver is significantly undervalued compared to gold from a historical standpoint. To put it into perspective, the average silver-gold ratio in the modern era has been between about 40 to 1 and 50 to 1. Now, historically, the ratio has always returned to that mean. And when it does, it typically does so with the vengeance. The ratio fell to 30 to 1 back in 2011, so after the 08 financial crisis when gold hit its peak, uh, that ratio dropped. And it was below 20 to 1 back in 1979. So, what what I'm basically saying is the silver-gold ratio is signaling to us now that silver has plenty of room to run up. Now, if you've listened to the show for long, you know that my time horizon is pretty long. I alluded to that earlier uh, in this podcast. I tend to look for long-term trends and macro fundamentals. And when I look at the fundamentals for silver, well, there is a lot to love. The Silver Institute released the final supply and demand data for 2022 this week. Get this, silver demand set a record in every single category last year. Now, I had reported earlier in the year that the projection was for record silver demand in 2022, and indeed that came to pass. Total global silver demand last year was just over 1.2 billion ounces. This was an 18% increase in silver demand over 2021. Now, net physical silver investment, that's basically bars and coins, uh, that rose for the fifth consecutive year to a new high of 332.9 million ounces. Silver investment in India 
charted a staggering 188% increase year on year. Uh, that was driven by lower prices and bargain hunting that drove demand higher. Now, we tend to think of India uh, as primarily a gold investing country, and it certainly is. But Indians also hold a lot of silver. In fact, it's one of the biggest silver markets in the world. So if demand there is increasing at that level, it's going to have a pretty significant impact on global demand. We had modest demand growth for physical silver and gold here in the U.S., despite ongoing supply shortages that drove premiums exceptionally high, especially on American Silver Eagle coins. Uh, in fact, last year I looked at uh, getting some Silver Eagles and ended up buying bars instead because the premium on the coins was just way too high. But of course, investment is really a small part of the equation when it comes to the silver market. About 60%, maybe a little more than that, of silver demand comes from industrial applications. And industrial demand posted a record of 556.5 million ounces in 2022. Green energy initiatives helped drive industrial offtake much higher. Uh, Photovoltaics PVs, um, I hope I said that word right, uh, solar energy. It consumed 140.3 million ounces of solar last year. Now, I've talked about how solar energy demand um, will impact the silver market on the show before. And that impact is going to be huge moving forward. In fact, according to a study by scientists at the University of New South Wales in Australia, solar manufacturers will likely require over 20% of the current annual silver supply by 2027. So that's just, what, four or five years ahead. By 2050, solar panel production will use approximately 85 to 98% of the current global silver reserves. In other words, solar energy is going to be taking almost all of the silver. Um, Looking back at 2022, electrification within the automotive segment, along with other power generation and distribution investments, also supported industrial silver demand. So, kind of like green energy is the wave of the future. And, you know, I've talked before about the fact that this isn't going to go away. You know, the, the industrial offtake in the silver market is heavily impacted by the economy. So one would expect if you have a deep recession, uh, you're going to see industrial demand for silver drop uh, because you're having less industrial activity, right? Makes sense. But when it comes to this green energy business, it's all supported by government. Uh, you know, it's part of the global climate change thing. And no matter what you think about it, that's what the powers that beat are driving. So even in a deep recession, you're going to still see a lot of government spending on this green energy because they think it's absolutely necessarily necessary for the survival of the planet. Uh, so when you look at this green energy demand in the silver market, it's probably pretty stable uh, because of that government support. Uh, let's see here. Jewelry. A lot of silver goes into making jewelry. Silver jewelry fabrication. Say that three times fast. Silver jewelry fabrication. It increased by 29% year on year to a record 234.1 million ounces. Again, India led the way with demand doubling year on year. 
Meanwhile, silverware demand in 2022 charted an even bigger spike of 80% to 73.5 million ounces. That was another record high, which is interesting to me because, you know, like, my grandparents, they had silverware, like real silverware. They only pulled it out like once a year. It's like, why do you have this stuff? You don't use it. Um, and, and my mom had silverware, but like we don't have silverware. But apparently a lot of people still have silverware because we just set a record in silverware uh, production. Um, so yeah, that's all of the major segments. Silverware, jewelry, investing, industrial, all set records in 2022 for silver offtake. So just looking at the demand dynamic should make you feel pretty good about silver. But there's more. While the demand for silver soared, supply was basically flat last year. Uh, mine output actually dropped slightly by 0.6% um, to 822.4 million ounces. Uh, production from primary silver mines was almost flat year on year, rising by just 0.1%. Um, and then lower byproduct output from lead and zinc mines, particularly in China and Peru, drove the overall mine output down. Interestingly, the bulk of silver is actually mined along with other metals. Uh, so the majority of silver does not come from silver mines. They come from, uh, as I just mentioned, lead and zinc mines, uh, also copper mines. They pull silver out along with that, so it's kind of a secondary part. Um, so that kind of impacts the, the mining of silver in a different way than gold, because if you're having um, a recession and you're having less production in some of these other industrial metals, you know, the price drops and uh, the, the mining slows down, then that, that inevitably impacts silver mining. So that's kind of an interesting little side note on silver mining. We had a modest increase in silver recycling. There is a lot of silver recycling, you know, when people throw away old electronics and whatnot, uh, the silver is pulled out of that. So the recycling offset the decrease in mine output, and so we ended up basically flat uh, with that slight increase in supply. Now, you don't have to be a math genius, and I'm not, to know that if you have high demand and stagnant supply, that's going to create a supply crunch, or as they call it in the uh, world of silver, a deficit. And we're definitely heading in that direction. In 2022, there was a 237.7 million ounce market deficit. So that means that basically uh, there was 237.7 million ounces more silver used than what was produced through mining and recycling. It was the second consecutive annual deficit in a row. The Silver Institute called it, quote, possibly the most significant deficit on record. And it also noted that, quote, the combined shortfalls of the previous two years comfortably offset the cumulative surpluses of the last 11 years. So over 11 years, we had more silver mined than was used, mined and recycled. Um, the last two years has wiped out that surplus. Looking ahead to 2023, the Silver Institute projected, quote, this year is expected to be another of solid silver demand. Industrial fabrication should reach an all-time high, boosted by continued gains in the PV market and healthy offtake from other industrial segments, end quote. The report noted that silver coin and silver demand uh, 
silver coin and silver bar demand, along with the demand for silver and jewelry fabrication, would likely fall short of the 2022 records, but they are all forecast to remain historically high. Meanwhile, supply growth in 2023 will likely not exceed single digits. The report said, quote, as a result, this year we'll also see another large deficit for silver amounting to a projected 142.1 million ounces, which would be the second largest deficit in more than 20 years. Adding up the supply shortfalls of 2021 through 2023, global silver inventories by the end of this year will have fallen by 430.9 million ounces from their end 2020 peak. To put this into perspective, it is equivalent to more than half of this year's forecasted annual mine production and more than half of the inventories presently held in London vaults offering custodian services, end quote. So, if you have a metal that is undervalued in historic terms and that is running headlong into a significant supply crunch, that really bodes well for the white metal. So, Apart from all of the Fed stuff and inflation and recessions, just looking at these fundamentals, supply and demand, I would be pretty darn bullish on silver. And in fact, I am pretty darn bullish on silver. So that's it for uh, the silver news. Before I close out the show, I want to share a little good news out of Arkansas before I wrap up the show. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders has signed a bill into law making gold and silver legal tender in the state. That may sound weird because you would think gold and silver would be legal tender. In fact, the Constitution says the states shall make no thing but gold and silver legal tender. And yet, in most states, the only thing that is considered legal tender is um, fiat dollars. Uh, So, in Arkansas, gold and silver is now legal tender. Um, And the law also effectively repeals the state capital gains tax on gold and silver. Enactment of this legislation will relieve some of the tax burden on investors, obviously, and it will take a step toward treating precious metal bullion as money instead of a commodity. So the law makes gold and silver specie legal tender, meaning that it is recognized as a medium of exchange. Now, practically speaking, this will allow Arkansans, Arkansalians, people in Arkansas, to use gold and silver coins as money rather than just as mere investments. In effect, it will create a more favorable legal structure for using gold and silver in transactions. And, you know, in some ways, it's a a symbolic move. And it's not going to have any impact at all unless people actually start using gold and silver in this way. But at least it opens that door. And it creates the opportunity for currency competition. We desperately need that. The Fed has a monopoly on money, right? Anything we can do to break that monopoly and create choice is a good thing, in my view. So anyway, under the law, specie is defined as, quote, a coin having gold or silver content or refined gold or silver bullion that is coin stamped or imprinted with its weight and purity and valued primarily based on its metal content and not its form. Under the law, specie will include coins issued by U.S. government or, quote, other specie that an Arkansas court rules to be within state authority to make or designate as legal tender. And 
by allowing courts to designate additional specie uh, as legal tender, Arkansas um, can free its citizens from potential supply constraints imposed by the use of only United States minted gold and silver coins. More importantly, the people of the state of Arkansas will be able to define what specie is considered constitutional tender, and that will farther distance themselves from potential control by the competing currency in Washington, D.C., Federal Reserve notes. Um, interestingly, in Utah, which also has gold and silver legally as legal tender, um, the courts declared uh, goldbacks as legal tender, and that basically allowed um, the development of uh, goldbacks, which are basically cool, um, cool things. I actually have some here on my desk. Uh, they're like... They feel like plastic film, but they're actually real gold. It's like a gram of gold that's embedded in this plastic, um, and, and they can be easily exchanged for goods and services. It's like a little currency, like little bills, um, and it's just a, another way to bring about currency competition. And again, I think currency competition is actually absolutely um, essential. So, this new legal tender law in Arkansas actually builds on a foundation that was set back in 2021 when the state repealed its sales tax on gold and silver. And uh, speaking of that, Mississippi is about to repeal its sales tax on gold and silver. That bill is on the governor's desk, and I expect that the governor will sign that any time now. Of course, taxes on gold and silver raise investment costs, and repealing these taxes knock, uh, knock down a barrier that might keep some investors from considering physical metal for their portfolios. And taxes on gold and silver are just dumb. You know, when you consider that gold and silver are both fundamentally money, why in the world are we taxing money? I mean, think about this. Imagine if you asked a grocery clerk to break a $5 bill, and he charged you $0.35 cent tax. It's that's silly, right? After all, you're only exchanging one form of money for another. But that's essentially what a sales tax on gold and silver bullion does. By eliminating this tax on the exchange of gold and silver, states treat specie as money instead of a commodity. That's really significant to me. We need to treat gold and silver as money because gold and silver fundamentally are money. So when we repeal taxes, it's a small step toward reestablishing gold and silver as legal tender, and breaking down that Fed monopoly on money. So I love this kind of state-level action, and, and if you know me, you know that I'm also the uh, communications director for the Tenth Amendment Center, so this is right up our alley. We're always looking for ways to decentralize, to devolve power away from Washington, D.C., back to the states. And, you know, it's not that I think states are the most awesome things either. State governments uh, can be as draconian and oppressive as the federal government. But I do like competition. I do like decentralization. And if we're going to have to have governments, I would prefer to have multiple governments in many jurisdictions competing against each other, holding each other to account, not one big massive conglomeration in Washington, D.C. I talk about this a lot. Um, I, I've been speaking over the last, uh, over this month um, at some events, and I've been talking about this idea that the founders talked about, consolidation. Consolidation was the word they used for centralization of power, and they warned against it over and over and over again. If you look at the ratification debates for the Constitution, you will find that the biggest fear 
of the anti-federalists, the folks who were opposing ratification, was that it was going to create a consolidation of government, that we were going to end up with a big centralized government that basically erases the power of the states. That's exactly what has happened. And again, they warned against it. I think Patrick Henry gave the the most uh, poignant warning. He said, consolidation must lead to the destruction of our liberties. We certainly see that. So anything that we can do to decentralize and devolve power away from D.C. and from the Fed is a good thing. Um, there's actually a similar legal tender law that is moving forward in Missouri. It's Senate Bill 100, and uh, it has passed the state Senate there. It's now in the House, but it's run into some problems. And so in Missouri, they like to play this political game where if there's a bill that House leadership doesn't particularly like, they load it up with a bunch of other stuff that's irrelevant. Or another thing that they'll do is they'll use a bill that's moving forward to try to tack on other things that have nothing to do with that original bill so that maybe they can get that through. You know, something that has um, a lot of support, if they tack on something that doesn't have as much support, maybe the supporters of the original bill will go ahead and vote for it, hold their nose, um, and do that. So, the word that I'm hearing from some activist friends in Missouri is that the House is trying to tack a bunch of garbage onto SB 100, and uh, it could effectively kill the bill. And so, um, the strategy from supporters of that bill is to try to keep all of this other stuff from getting amended onto it. If you happen to live in Missouri, I'll give you a little bit of homework. Call your state representative. Uh, you can go to the Missouri legislature website and find that pretty easily. Uh, give that state rep a call. Tell them that you support SB 100 to make gold and silver legal tender in the state and that you want it to move forward without amendments. Um, And just let them know that any kind of public pressure can help move this bill forward. Um, Interestingly, you know, if you've ever called Congress, you're probably not real confident that your actions have any significant impact. It's much different at the state level. State representatives are not used to constituent pressure on individual bills. So if they get a bunch of phone calls on SB 100, I guarantee you it could make a difference. So do that if you live in Missouri. Of course, you know, laws and and legal tender and all of these things are meaningless without human action. People actually have to have gold hold gold and silver, and then figure out ways to use it in transactions, whether it's digital, whether it's using these like gold backs. We can definitely help with the first part at Shift Gold. If you want to consider adding gold and silver to your portfolio, call 1-888-GOLD-160 and talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist, um, you know, As I say every week, they're going to look at your situation, your investment goals, your portfolio, figure out how precious metals can fit into that. If you don't want to talk on the phone, you can email them, info at shiftgold.com, or you can go to the Shiftgold website, talk to them directly, just go to the Getting Started tab, and you can chat online. Do it today. Gold is under $2,000 an ounce as I'm recording this, so buying opportunity there. Silver is still a bargain. So talk to a ship called Precious Metals Specialist today. With that, we're going to call this a gold wrap for the week. You can get more details on all of these stories that I've talked about and more 
And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. And if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, there's links to all of these things on the show notes page, our YouTube channel. Um, you can email me, mmahary, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. And I hope you have a fantastic weekend. And I will be back here in this chair talking to you again next week.